Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's 38th episode is a great one, folks. So from France to New York, senior at Skidmore College, she has achieved huge honors, including being a member of Alpha Kappa Delta and has also been accepted as a new leader in the Center for Women in Government and Civil Society. On top of that, she is now a lead intern for Hashtag I Can Help, where she and the organization are working to create more thoughtful, socially aware, and just community-driven youth, especially online. She has come a long way, and she's only just getting started. She has just begun, people. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, a leader who embodies excellence, Lola Bessis. How's it going, Lola? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. What a great introduction. I feel so honored. <laughs> you should. You should, because we only allow the best here at the upcoming. So I don't want to speak for you, Lola. At the upcoming, I always let my guests introduce themselves. So indulge us. Who and what exactly are you? Um, so I think you gave a pretty great uh, introduction. I would add that I'm currently still an undergraduate. So I'm a rising senior, uh, currently working on my campus as a research assistant in the sociology department. I'm a double major in English and sociology with a double minor in international affairs and political science. Um, hardworking and you know doing a lot for sure. Um, but right now I'm working on a really, really great project that my professor is actually in Australia um, presenting right now all about about faculty well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm a co-author on uh, an officially published sociology piece, which is my brand new achievement as of this week, which is very, very exciting. Thank you. And we will also be um, presenting it at the National Sociology Conference, which happens in DC. So that's also exciting. And right now we're working on our second paper all about um, sexual assaults on college campuses. So if you cannot tell, I am also a very, very strong feminist. Um, and that is really where my interests lie and what I want to do with the rest of my life. Excellent. Excellent. See, that's just another great introduction of you, Lola. But, you know, you've, like I said, you've come a long way and you've been around the world uh, before you made it to uh, the U.S., now, I understand you were um, initially born in uh, Paris and then grew up a big portion of your life in Dubai, where you um, came here in the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, I was yeah. born in Paris and I moved to Dubai when I was 11. So I went to middle and high school in Dubai. I see. Yes. And I understand within the time you yourself are uh, Jewish and so you were in a, a Muslim, predominantly Muslim countries. And you had experienced like a lot of discrimination around that time, a lot of uh, bullying. And so I know that was rough for you. And so you managed to make it out, but I just got to understand like to come, um, to come from um, those 
um, hard beginnings to eventually now we are trying to build, you know, better communities, more thought um, driven, more like, you know, empathetic people online. How has just all that um, struggle, um, social struggle you had to endure sort of like trained you, you think, for the roles you're in now? I mean, something that was very, very interesting for me growing up then in Dubai as Jewish and like being exposed to that and uh, being bullied for that was then also going to Jewish community centers in the United States and being bullied for living in a Muslim country. And so I, I really saw both ends. I saw the Jewish hate for Muslims and the Muslim hate for Jews and none, both, both ways, it was nonsensical right? It was, none of it was based on any, that no one knew each other, right? It was just what their parents had told them or what they saw in the news or growing up in Dubai was the fact that Israel was literally sharpied out of the world map. So these types of experiences, I saw the way that people were so quick to assume things about each other and to um just start like to start hating and to hate for no valid reason that now I really take that into consideration and I take into consideration every single point of view that people are bringing in and I try to understand and I always when someone expresses kind of a harsh or hateful opinion I say why do you think that where where does this hate come from because a lot of the times these people will say oh I heard it from this person or that person I'll say hear it let's hear the other side of the story. Let's ask why. Let's ask these like important questions and try to understand where people are coming from. Um, not only people who are spreading hate, but those who are spreading, who think they're spreading love, but they may be spreading the wrong message. It's just at a time as well, where when everybody has a platform, the bullying stops being direct and starts being spread to who knows who knows what type of people who are more vulnerable to these influences. And I feel like that's why the work we do at I Can Help is so important because we ask people to consider before posting and consider uh, before sending messages or doing these types of um, dangerous behaviors online. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my, my front on the bullying and spreading hate and the way it translates online. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And when you think about it, it's it's these these thoughts and these like negative emotions like towards like someone they don't even know or even fully understand. It's been kind of like sort of ingrained into their into their brains at such a young age. When you say that Israel's literally sharpie out of a map, they're they're being like trained mentally to just like have that sort of a prejudice and just bad um, view of. And so it doesn't just stop there. So what do you think is some of the first steps in like, like building more empathy uh, for people? Because as we just said, it's not just for this generation, but it will become for another generation too, if we're not, you know, careful and like teach them really to be more empathetic and really just get to know somebody. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And, um, especially with kids now being introduced to social media at younger and younger ages. There's for sure some good on social media, but there's so much hate that is 
uncontrolled and parents cannot control the amount, like how easily this hate is accessed. And kids are going to be exposed to it one, one way or another. Um, that's why I, I feel like it's so important to have teachers be trained, parents be trained, and kids be trained in what to do in these different situations, which is a big part of what we do at, at I Can Help, but also just having kids be more critical thinkers when it comes to posting and sharing online to try and think, why am I doing this? Who am I sending this to? Who's going to see this? Something that my generation, we were constantly told was our digital footprint and that whatever we posted was going to stay with us forever. And I feel like that has kind of drifted away because there's so much on the internet that people think I'm going to post something and it's just kind of go into this void and no one's ever going to see it again or remember it. But even if that's true and in six months, no one remembers it. When you do post something, it has the ability to hurt or, you know, spread hate, which is just not what what people should want to do. That is so true. That is so true. Because the internet can be a great place, but it can also be a really toxic place at the same time. And as you said, like somebody can make, maybe just put a little tweet or some post on YouTube or something, be like, ah, you know, it's no big deal. And somebody, one person picks up on it and it's, you know, it becomes a trend. And as we both know, the internet is forever. So it's just all about critical thinking and all about just understanding like what you're doing really with uh, every move you make, especially online. So I'll get into, um, I can help, but I want to just hear a little bit more about you and you know, your uh, background, Lola. So, you know, when you came to the U S this is going to come back to, you know, your backstory and just um, international views, what's something that uh, surprised you about the, about the States uh, as compared to when you were in like Dubai and, uh, France. Probably this is this is maybe a very specific to me thing, but asking people where they're from in the US is sometimes offensive. But and but versus growing up in Dubai, my class of like I think we were about 200 students, we had I think it was 106 different nationalities. So asking <sighs> so asking someone where they're from was kind of the norm. It's like, oh, where are you from? It, it wasn't anything hurtful. It was like, because I know you're not from here because Dubai is a land of expats. So I grew up with that mentality. But then when I came to the US and I would ask someone, like uh, someone who may be of color or something like that, where are you from? They would get kind of offended about it. And they'd be like, I'm American. And there was such a strong sense of like this American identity. And I was like, no, no, I, I didn't mean it like that. And so there was a lot more hostility when it came to like race and national identity and um, like being part of this like group and this in group of Americans. It was that kind of, that kind of idea. Yeah. And uh, I was just talking to this, uh, about this recently with a friend as well about this idea of Europeans letting go of their European identities when they move to the States and then taking on the identity of white instead of European and she's a history major. So she's like tracing it back to World War II when the Germans kind of let go of their label of German to be able to 
assimilate with the American white nationalism. And, you know, maybe it's related somehow now as well of like this in group of like, there's the whites and then there's this and that in America versus in Europe, it's more like, we're all white, but like, or we're not, but we're still like, I'm French, I'm from here, I'm from there. And in America, it just seems like a lot more race focused than it is like nationality focused. Race focused instead of nationality focused. Yeah, we we do love to say like, hey, well, I'm, an, I'm an American, full, uh, full bred American right there. But yeah, it's it's really it's it really is interesting how how one country can be so different and just like point out like, hey, I'm you know I'm from here, or I'm like from there, I'm actually here, as compared to somewhere else. But that just goes to show you how every place there's something different. Like mm-hmm. all the time, culturally, you know, socially, uh, it's uh, honestly that's, that's probably like the best thing about like, the best thing about you know just traveling and seeing all these different places. Don't you think? Just how different it can be and how you can learn something at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, but, like I said, growing up in Dubai wasn't only being exposed to like a quote-unquote Arab culture was being exposed to so many cultures because everyone is from everywhere we had some Americans we had some British then like just in my friend group it was an Argentinian a girl from Syria a girl from India and then we had a girl who was like half Sudanese and half Serbian and then some guys from Lebanon some guys from Egypt you know we had it was all encompassing, literally all encompassing. We could, you know, put all the dots on the map and that was us. And we'd go to each other's houses and there'd be like the local food. And then the parents would be a lot more in their culture, quote unquote. Um, and so there was kind of like that exposure to those different cultures. And I feel like that's also contributed a lot to my open-mindedness and my consideration of everybody's different point of views or different needs in different situations. Okay, great. So now, I just, now let's, uh, let's transition to you and your leadership role. So I gotta I got wonder, at uh, what point in your life did you see yourself growing and like becoming a leader? Um, I mean, I've, as a child, it was more of an insult where people would call me bossy. And and I think that in growing up and becoming more empathetic, I learned how to turn my bossiness into strong leadership skills. And I feel like the beginning of that journey was, um, me being, um, in charge of younger kids in my after-school drama activity where I would direct and I would host like like warm-up exercises things like that and I was working with kids who were two to three years younger than me so not a huge gap and kind of managing how to get someone who's that close in age to me's respect uh but also you know be fun and chill but you know we needed to get things done um so I that was I think my first exposure to a more leadership experience and then the first kind of quote-unquote official leadership role I got was with I Can Help where I became their lead intern 
Okay, so there is where we go from here. I can help. So I read about, I read the article about you be, becoming the lead intern for Ashley. I can help and just the absolute love and respect you have for the organization. But what is something that amazes you about just the people you work with as you've, as more time you spent with I can help? The number one thing is that we're all overachievers. So you'll hear me talk and you'll say, this girl's doing too much, but we're all doing so much. I mean, we just ended kind of our, for our, our seasonal or annual year. So we said goodbye to a few people who are, you know, in transitional stages of their lives and aren't staying with us for the next year. And we have some graduates, like high school graduates heading to like Yale, Columbia, all these like top schools. And they're, you know, presidents of, I don't even know how many high school clubs. I mean, I wasn't doing that much in high school. I got, I got my life together more in college. And that's when I started, you know, doing these, these sorts of things, but they're already like on top of it. And um, the way that they're all so passionate about our mission and about spreading digital for good and they all have great intentions but then they're also very down-to-earth people who you can just like have a chat with and we've managed to really build a community of friends and be there to, to support each other and a lot of us I feel like it's it's that way with anything in life like you get into it because of personal experiences so a lot of us do have a history of having been bullied online or having been, you know, there was some something that happened to us online that is what drives us to keep working for I Can Help and to keep on doing the amazing work that we do because we know what it's like to be on the other end and to feel helpless and hopeless and have no, and feel like you have no support. And so that, uh, that's why we want to implement into schools and teach parents and teach kids and spread our mission. I love it. I love it. Just being surrounded by overachievers, folks going to big colleges, being leaders and community builders. It's truly amazing. And you know, the one thing I think we can both agree on is that when you're like surrounded by you know, folks who are just hardworking, like always motivated, it's, inspires you and it motivates you to you know reach that caliber and just do more than you're doing now don't you think i mean for sure it's it's so inspiring to see them who are younger and like doing so much and then those who are my age and you know we can bond over like how hard our exams are but we know that at the end of the day like we're all gonna get through it and do amazing things and one of my like close friends in the company she's i think like 15 and she's just this like powerhouse like this girl we had an in-person event last march this girl ran the entire event she was incredible she is just At like 15 she's incredible she really is the best she's the sweetest kindest human but she's also so intelligent she was behind the scenes making all the tech work and getting the mics together and having our PowerPoints, you know, correctly showing and just ensuring everything was done right. I mean, I was just so impressed. And she opened up to me about like, you know, some issues with bullying. She's having things like that. And 
then we were able to connect on that more human level. So we have like, we're able to have that professional working relationship where, you know, we get things done in that setting, but then also connect in that human level and be able to talk and get real and get personal and connect and form these bonds that I hope, you know, last a lifetime. So it's, it's really incredible. And I think that is also one of the benefits of it being student ran is that we're all kind of in the same age pool and we're all going through this together. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And she sounds impressive girl, 15. 15. Well, shout out to shout out to that girl. She, she, you're listening to this. You are awesome. Oh yeah. So yeah, no, I was not doing that at 15, but uh, that's irrelevant. So I, I want, I'm curious. I'm just curious. Just indulge me on this next part. Uh, Lola, what does a regular day uh, at I can help look like? So it, it really depends because all our work is remote and mm -hmm. something that's great is that being remote and all that our hours are flexible. So let's say it's a normal day of meetings. Uh, we have meetings tomorrow, so I'll give you tomorrow. Uh, there's all, all the different committee meetings. And as a lead intern, I try to kind of hop on and off of the different committee meetings to check up on people, see how they're doing, if they need support on something. So the meetings are all at different times. Let's say the first one is at like 10 a.m. And they each last an hour. But as lead, I would just like hop on one, hop off. And they're, the last one I think is around 6 p.m. So they're periodical. And so uh, just jumping on and off and seeing how people are doing, answering questions. And then other than that, like today, my I can help work was putting together our meeting agenda. So what we're going to talk about at um, upcoming meetings, getting emails sent out. Uh, we, I was also opening emails about uh, potential collaboration with Snapchat that we're really trying to make happen. Um, because I don't know if you're aware that there's a whole issue right now with Snapchat and uh, fentanyl and also the um, sexploitation scandal where a lot of young boys are getting sexploited. So uh, we're trying to, you know, work with them and have a collaboration and work on a way that we can create a guideline for parents, student teachers, and the actual child. And just listen to this. Sexploitation. Snapchat. I would have never... Um... I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but even still, it's just like, wow. But there it is again, just that darker side of social media, just taken to the extreme right there. But so, so the regular day at the, and I can help, this just sounds like there's just like a lot of like organizing and a lot of scheduling, a lot of time where you like, I'm talking, like planning and just getting events and yeah, especially everything else as, ready. Especially as a lead, that's more where I am because I'm more on, you know, the corporate side of it, I want to say. You know, I'm communicating with yeah, mentors, board members, but... Coordinating, yeah. Yeah, versus committees, 
themselves, for example, content creation, they're in charge of creating like three to four blogs a month. So it's like, oh, this month, for example, we just had one on ChatGBT. So let's say I'm in the content creation committee. I say, oh, this month I want to write about ChatGBT. So I'll write my blog post during the month and then send it out and then it gets uploaded to our website. Um, or, you know, we have different Instagram posts. So uh, advocacy and inclusion, they just had a post on different uh, genders and sexualities with the flags. And so they're in charge of creating that post, creating that caption and getting it uploaded then to our Instagram. So each committee kind of does something different, but ultimately we all work together to have, have all of our social medias running and have our websites con constantly updated and have our YouTube constantly updated. And then I work to kind of report everything that they do back to our executive director and our lead team. And I'm just like in that middle person that people uh, keep asking questions to. And like, I have to kind of know what everybody's doing, where things are, et cetera. That sounds like a lot. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> And that's putting it mildly. Yeah, just rest um, where you can, because I know just the stress from that has got to be huge. But so I was just thinking when you mentioned Snapchat, I couldn't help but just think about just once again, that's the dangers of social media, because we know it's not just a platform for cyber bullies or for, you know, spam and just other crazy stuff but there can be actual like you know predatory predatory scams and pretty just crazy folks in in the realm of uh, social media so as you've looked at all the ways people can be exploited in one way or another just how has it made you more like conscious of how you use or when you go on social media, has it made, like, for example, has it made you want to be on it like less or more or just in the middle ground? Just take us through it. Um, I try and be on my phone as little as possible. It's hard. Um, I have like, especially working for a, a social media company, it's really tough. But what I do is, and I also wake up very early in the morning, so it's not that hard to just leave my phone in my bed and then get on with my entire morning routine. I mean, I will not pick up my phone until like I've done my makeup, I've put on my outfit, everything is done. And then I'll pick up my phone. So that gives me about like four hours without a phone in the morning. Because, you know, I'll like, I'll wake up, drink my coffee, read a book, do some stretching, do some working out, take a shower, and then do all that before I touch it. So I feel like that allows kind of my brain to reset having, you know, a moment to myself where I just read or I stretch in the morning without touching my phone. But um, it definitely makes me weary of the internet. I have a young niece and nephew. And I... I'm glad they are not on the internet and my niece is almost 10. So she's getting close to the age where, you know, she should be getting a cell phone in the coming years. And I just am so against it. And I really, really just think that uh, we should keep children away from the internet as long as possible because the yep. internet was one thing when I was 12 and it was already a lot. But now it's just gotten so out of control. 
that I, I just, I don't think that someone with a non-developed brain can really handle everything the internet has to offer. Honestly, put them on flip phones when they're kids. I give them flip phones. Yeah. That's, that's what we had when we were kids. Because that's what we were starting out with. That was in the, like, the little Blackberries. You remember, yeah. you remember Blackberries? Yeah. Yeah, little Blackberry phones. Like, there you go. That's Then that that's the way when they look up and they see just... Because you know what's interesting? When, you, when you're without your phone and you just take a walk outside and you see just the sea of people who are just like this, just staring at their phones, heads down, Mm -hmm. heads down, and you start to feel like you're in another dimension, really, because... I don't know if you know the show Black Mirror, but it feels like a Black Mirror episode. People will be saying that a lot, honestly. And, like, it it, kind of reminds me of the uh, movie WALL-E, honestly, where people became so reliant on technology, they literally got fat and couldn't even walk on their own. They needed robots to do everything for them. Heck, they were drinking meals out of a, like a Slurpee cup. That's yeah. just I know I know we're not at that extreme yet, but we are pretty reliant on technology. And so, yeah, it's 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 crazy, absolutely, just how far things have come and how reliant people are. But then again, everything is on your phone. And so it's also, I don't want to be completely unaware of what's going on either. Right. So I don't, it's, it's really hard because there's so many things that I feel like I need to know, whether it's like current events, news, politics, even like where my friends are at. Right. It's, it's all these things combined that you know, pull me back in. So, so before we move on a little bit further, Lola, I'm curious, and you uh, ha- have your own kids. How would you train your your children to, you know, just become more socially aware of themselves and not be so reliant on technology as you've seen everyone else is around you? Um, I mean, I would not give them access to their own technology for as long as permissible. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to have kids, when I'm going to have kids, you know, how necessary technology is going to be. Because right now I see my niece, she needs a computer for school. and She's only 10 years old, which is just absurd, but that's the way it is. So (laughs) just, um, you know, trying to get them outside and play outside and teach them alternatives to social media early on. And a big problem that parents face is the child saying, I'm bored, I'm bored. And I remember saying I'm bored when I was a kid and my mom would hand me a pencil and say, draw on the on a piece of paper, right? But now it's like, you're bored. Let me give you an iPad with like this, these endless possibilities. And you don't get to know yourself in my opinion, because when I remember I started to draw and I was like, I want to be an architect because I started drawing buildings and I had like these amazing ideas for these like fancy hotels I was going to design, all these things. And it's stupid, but it allowed me to tap into a creative part of myself versus now it's, 
you're so consumed by what other people are offering you instead of what you yourself can create. You can't help but just reflect on when we were kids, when, you know, even when we were watching TV, they would say like, yo, get out and go play, like go play sports or like go out and like find some friends and let's all like just play. Let's all get together. Let's do some activities. Let's all, let's all be creative. There's a, there's a great word in there. Let's be creative. Let's find what we love. You know, it just kind of moved you to get out be adventurous and just really get to know yourself. And I think what you're doing, what you're thinking right here, just teaching kids to know themselves instead of having someone just hand them a phone and say, here's what you are. You're a, you're a YouTube addict or you're in, you're just like, you want to be on Instagram all the time. It's no, we've, you're your own person. So it's time for you to discover that at a young age. So you're not still trying to figure it out when you're an adult. So that's, so that being said, I, I see your point a hundred percent. So now we've gone over to social media. I want to talk about you and your role as a feminist because I couldn't help but notice and just applaud just the huge role you've gotten as a new leader at the Center uh, for Women in Government and Civil Society. So how did you find yourself uh, bec becoming like a part of this organization and just wanting to serve as in this role? Well, first off, I wasn't always the feminist I am. You know, I was, I was like, oh, I'm a feminist. I believe women and men should be equal, sure. But I never really opened my eyes to the current inequalities that are happening, if that makes sense. I just was viewing it from a very bourgeois, like, yeah, women should be equal, but I didn't take into consideration the material realities of women and what was going on. And so being exposed to kind of second wave feminists and their literature and reading into that, I, I became super passionate and I kind of saw that there was no way that the only way I could help was getting involved in politics and policy and then that's how I declared a political science uh, minor and in doing so um, I was advertised you know this opportunity to apply for this program at the University of Albany which is only 30 minutes away from where I live hmm. and um, I was like why not um, they sent out an application and you know the main question of it was what do you think is uh the current most urgent public policy affecting women and i was very nervous to answer this question because my feminist views do not really align with the mainstream feminist views and i knew that a lot of the responses would concern abortion rights which i do think are super important we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and I think it's urgent that we take on to the streets and protest this. But I decided instead to write on um, prostitution and um, this legal versus illegal debate, and um, I wrote instead on like how I think that we need to abolish it and kind of where my stance is on that. And to my surprise, I was accepted. And even my friend, you know, warned me, like, careful with this. Like, this is such a, like, 
such a strong view you might like you know if someone doesn't agree with you they might reject you etc and then the fact that I did get in and I got congratulated on my application really reminded me that I'm gonna get places by being myself and standing my ground on my beliefs and not by adhering to what I think will make me a more attractive candidate awesome being yourself and just not worrying about being attractive, just knowing like who you are and what you believe in right there. And it's, it's so funny you brought up Roe v. Wade, uh, the overturning, because I was, I remember I was there in, um, in New York where the protests were happening and just the same, just the massive crowds who were just protesting, who were just standing together on this was absolutely uh, insane to see. But yeah, that's sort of the just power of like a, a common common goal and uh, a common uh, desire just what to end something that we all see as just like unfair or just something that's injustice really mm-hmm. you know because we see a lot too too with the because i think of also like when the me too movement happened and everyone was standing against you know sexual abuse in in the workplace and just in general so how do you see these like different movements sort of just pushing society forward instead of backwards? I think it's complicated, especially now as I, the way I see it is the feminist movement is getting more and more and more divided. We had an original divide between liberal versus radical feminists kind of in the eighties and then mm-hmm. there was a shift towards like queer theory and all that nonsense, in my opinion, which, you know, just said, oh, nothing is wrong. You know, all it, it just kind of normalized abuse, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. And um, it's kind of when the whole like you shouldn't king shame thing arose and in a lot, I've like done so much research about this, but in a lot of ways, this was all like dictated by men and, you know, created, I would argue a new generation of female sexual slaves um, and hookup culture that we see now is directly tied to this, which fuels then rape culture on college campuses. And it's less like the Me Too movement was, was phenomenal and it was great, but it it missed a lot of what of like what the problem is if that makes sense it it also amplified this idea of toxic masculinity which i do think that some masculinity is toxic but not all masculinity is toxic and therefore by having this like toxic masculine label just everywhere a lot of young boys are afraid of being boys and are afraid of like oh what if I'm a toxic masculine man and we've created a lot of hostility to it instead of compassion and understanding and I don't think it's changed public opinion that much on like women survivors and we've seen it most recently with Amber Heard and the total like shit that she got so it's it's really tough and i don't think 
that I don't know I think that it feminism is like a pendulum and I think we are very much swinging backwards in terms of women's rights so you believe there should be um, a sort of balance here a sort of understanding of both sides not just you know trying to see you know women for like more than we've been portraying them as and but also just trying to help boys like really understand, you know, that they are boys instead of just, you know, giving them labels like, you know, toxic or you're a man, so masculine, anything. We just, you just want to see like, you know, open conversations and open, like just beliefs so that we can all just, you know, come to a better form of like respect. And that way mm-hmm. women can get to the level that you believe they should be at. Yeah, am, am I, am I saying, am I, uh, do I have it right? Yeah. Great. I mean, awesome. it is that it's like teaching our boys. And right now in the research I'm doing on sexual assault, something that I really want to try and touch on on the paper would be this idea of, of reframing rape, um, instead of it being portrayed as a crime that men are committing portraying it as a violation of someone's body, right? Because a crime is something that you always kind of have an inkling to break, right? It's like, it's a law that you want to break and you want to feel cool. You say, don't drink before you're 21. You're going to drink before you're 21. You're just going to try and not get caught, right? So instead of framing rape as this thing of like, let's try not to get caught, let's frame it as like, no, you have to understand that this is not an object. This is a human person. And what you're affecting is going to have dramatic impacts on their well-being. So reframing the way we talk about it and trying to reason with men, not only, you know, college level, but starting as young boys, we, there's, I don't, we also live in like such a pornified culture that it makes it hard for women to stand their ground. And there are some great organizations such as uh, Culture Reframed in Australia that work with young kids and like trying to help them navigate, once again, the internet, but like porn culture and trying to build an understanding of women as more than objects. And I think that that is the work that is necessary. You know what? One thing I was really thinking about as we've had this conversation is just not just a, just a porn in the hookup culture because we've gotten so used to it. And in fact, it's been promoted on like media, you know, TV, movies, music of just like having one night stands and like trying to go into bars or some sloppy place uh, to meet somebody, like get, take go to bed with them and then just forget about them the next day. And that's sort of been, I know, has contributed more to like this sort of idea of women being just objects like trophies being like, Hey, I got to hit it. And everybody's like, Hey, yeah, great job, man. Instead of like actually forming a relationship with, with others and like genuinely spending time with, you know, women and guys and just feeling like a human being. And that's, I've been reading reports on men being like lonelier and, and just less attached so really it's this whole idea of not just objectifying women but also just failing to understand the importance of relationships so it's made me um look at you uh lola and 
as someone who's joined multiple organizations with filled with incredible pe incredible people overachievers leaders like how is it like built your view on the importance of building relationships and how you can you know continue to maintain those relationships um I think once again, it relates back to the internet and social media, especially this idea of feeling lonely because there, the internet does allow us to create amazing connections, but it also distances us from real humans, right? So I feel like a lot of people will have these like pseudo attachments via online communities which are amazing in unifying people who have like certain niche interests etc but it's also important to keep in touch with like your material reality and it's it's tough sometimes you know working for a remote company and kind of being distant from from the people that I'm working with but like I said you know having been able to meet them in person last March was absolutely incredible. It was these people I'd been working with for a year and a half turning into like real fleshly humans. And since then, our connection has been able to grow and thrive and deepen, which I, as much as sad as me, I don't think would have happened if we hadn't met in person because there's something about the real connection and the real face-to-face -face interaction that, you know, texting or even video chatting can never mirror. So having had that opportunity and, you know, having, I can help fly me out, which was like incredible and going to Los Angeles and meeting all these amazing people has helped me connect. But then I also make active efforts to connect with people in my own life and like my real life. I, especially having grown up in Dubai, once again, these people are from everywhere and then we all ended up going everywhere we're all we're spread out across the world so it's hard sometimes you know to keep in touch and I have a friend my best friend who we honestly don't even text that much but I texted him and I told him like hey are you available these dates and he said yeah and then two minutes later I sent him my plane ticket and I went to go visit him and it's like, because I know that, you know, our catch-ups uh, over the phone every few months, they're great, but they're nothing like what we would have face-to-face -face and in person. And I'm saying this, like, I'm very privileged to be able to travel and to be able to go see different people at different times. But even within the community, I think it's so important to constantly look for ways in which one can connect with the people around whether it's about mutual interest or it's like a book club or like some exhibition, just things like that, that can allow people to have conversations and just like, just see people and read body language. And even like for women, for example, you know, you're in a, a constant loop of social media and seeing perfect faces and perfect bodies. And then you step outside and you say like, wait, people don't look like what I just spent two hours on Instagram seeing, right? And, and then it brings you back and you say, wait, maybe I shouldn't hate myself. And it's all these different things that are connected. And that I think is so important, therefore, for people to just go outside, <laughs> right? To go outside and see people and interact.
Absolutely. Because you can be chatting with someone on texts or calls for so long, and then finally it just hits different when you're able to shake their hand or give them a hug and say, how have you been? And yeah, it just feels deeper because now you're actually there. It's real. So true. So I just have two more questions for you. And the first one uh, I had been meaning to ask you sooner, but I'll just go ahead and ask it now. So I just, I know you were on the conversationalist with, um, and when you were on the, on the conversationalist, you mentioned your hot take on labels. You know, you didn't, you didn't like the word uh, labels. You said they had a, mentioned they had a direct tie to capitalism where we're seen as commodities in which, you know, labels women, you get tampons, men are labels men, get shaving cream, you know. And so I was thinking to myself just when I was hearing your point, I was thinking to myself and I just had to ask it to you, like, how can you see people challenging your view on labels, especially when uh, capitalism is tied to it? Like, what do you mean, how, like, how playing devil's advocate, like, how would people like, go against it? Yeah, like, how people would, like, say, like, disagree or say, like, why labels matter, or, like, if, whether or not capitalism is involved in labels at all. Uh, I think there's two parts to that. One, at least from, like, reading the kind of hate comments I got on my Instagram page from it, would be mm. there's a clan of people who would say oh, words don't matter, right? And fair enough, right? Like, I used to say that too, like, oh my god, like, I don't care if it's fresh man and not fresh woman, like, uh, it's just a word. And then I, you know, got into feminist literature, and I really thought about it, and I thought about how gendered language is, and, you know, I'm pursuing a Bachelor of the Arts, but I prefer saying I'm pursuing a spinster of the arts, right? Because I'm just, like, actively rejecting this gendered language. I'm also an English major, so I do focus a lot on words, which is why I thought, you know, why are we saying label? And I did look it up before the episode. And label is like originally the thing that you put on, on your clothes to mark its brand, right? So it's it's literally a brand that we put on ourselves. Now, I also don't like the idea of like our quote unquote labels or our, our identities dividing us the way that I feel like they are nowadays. You know, it's like a Republican and a Democrat can't even be in the same room because of how much like tension would be there, right? And it's and it's idiotic. It's it's stupid. And it's goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning with Muslims and Jews who have never interacted and hate each other for no reason just because of that identity. It's that's what yeah. I, I find that these labels and the more that we create, we end up dividing each other. Some people think it's great. They like find their niche little identity and they are like, oh, I found myself. But I don't It's like, haven't you always been yourself? Do you really need to put a name on it in order for it to be valid? And then I find that people will attach a lot of themselves to it and a lot of their self-esteem will rely on it and therefore if the quote-unquote label or identity is attacked in some way or dragged in some way it's they feel like it's a direct attack on them and 
and even even if it's not, it's not a direct attack on you or your character. It's just a criticism of maybe some broader social phenomenon that's going on. It's not it's not about you, right? Like if I criticize, for example, pride and the way it's been used by companies to make money, I'm not attacking any specific gay person. That would be stupid. I'm I'm attack I'm not attacking. I'm criticizing pride and the way it's been used by by corporations and so i find that in attaching yourself too closely to a label you're too easily offended and quote-unquote triggered and then you know just find everything offensive or find issues and create problems when there shouldn't be that makes sense makes sense i I see i see your point definitely Uh, but we're it's just so funny how it's just it feels kind of like just one big loop don't you think just how we come with with names and labels and identities and it's kind of the point where two people two people uh, different people cannot be in a room with each other or else you think like they're ready to fight each other like actually like physically scrap even when they don't even know the other's name so I, don't know, I feel like this is just a whole another conversation in and of itself, but <laughs> but um, thanks so much for that uh, response. So my final question: after everything you've been through, after everything you've seen, everything you've done, all the people you've met, and just I gotta know what is it that you're most grateful for? God. Um... I would say the like the real women who have impacted me. So where it'd be, you know, the amazing 1970s feminists. I'm so grateful and eternally grateful for them, their sacrifice, their hard work that, you know, have gotten women like me where we are today. I'm so grateful to my women friends around me for always supporting me, to my mother for being just like, an incredible role role model being so strong, so compassionate, empathetic, and forgiving, and also always listening to me. And, you know, uh, making me feel more confident in who I am and self assured. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for all that. But I'm also very grateful to myself. And it may sound conceited, but I have worked so hard, not just work in schoolwork but I've worked on my character so much to get where I am and I've completely changed as a person and I've really grown up and I'm so grateful for myself for putting in that work and getting me where I am today and getting me to be in such a healthier mindset and in a healthier body and just uh, I'm just like, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be where I am. There's there's so much to be grateful for, right? Yes, there is. Yes, there is so much. And so I'm grateful to have you right here on the show just talking about what you're grateful for. So that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode 38 of The Upcoming. I want to give a big thank you to my guest, Lola. Thank you so much for coming on and 
sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of The Upcoming. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. And be sure to find us online at www.upcomingwithjohn.com. And also just be sure to tune in for our next episodes. You know, we release these on Sundays, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And yeah, just follow more of The Upcoming. Share this with your friends, your family, everybody, and see if you are the next person who will be on the upcoming podcast with Jonathan Carr. So that being said, uh, that is all for tonight and good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. The best yet to come. Take care, everybody.